Today we're just about middle way through our summer road trip through Romans. Last week we did part of Romans 5 and all of Romans 6. Uh, today we're going to work on Romans 7 through the first part of Romans chapter 8. And the main idea today is simply this. Following Jesus is not about following a list of do's and don'ts. It's not what it's about. Following Jesus is when we're alive to God through the Holy Spirit working in us. That's what this is all about. Paul makes it really clear. Uh, if you're working on, if you use the devotionals Monday through Saturday, you get the text reminder on Mondays, that's great. If not, text your name in, Romans, and we'll get you on the list. Or just go to the website. It's at the bottom. And each day of the week, Monday through Saturday, you have a devotional that ties in with exactly the things we've been talking about on Sunday. So first stop this week, in Christ we are released from the law, Romans 7, 1 through 6. Now at first you may go, well, that doesn't actually sound good to be released from the law. Just imagine if everyone on your way home has been released from laws that govern driving on the road. Everyone drives whatever speed they want. They drive on whatever side of the road they want. They may or may not stop at stop signs or red lights. be total chaos. But Paul's not talking about traffic law. Paul's talking about the law, which is law originating in the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, the law from God that's spelled out. This is what it looks like to love God and love people. Do this. Now, by the time Paul wrote his letter, the law in Judaism had expanded to 613 laws that they were to follow. And if a person followed all those laws just right, then you could say, well, they must love God and they must love people. Interestingly enough, and you and I know this, but you can obey all the laws and still not love God and love people. So Paul writes at the end of this section these words. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living by the Spirit. You can obey the letter of the law, but actually be against the Spirit of the law. My mother did her best to train her children to forgive as we were growing up. My sister Susan's four years older. Didn't have a lot to do with her because she was a girl when I was growing up. And I had my younger brother Mark. And he and I spent all of our time together. And there's brotherly rivalries going on as we were growing up, some competition. Sometimes we said some things, and sometimes we got into fights, physical fights. Well, when my mother was aware that things had gotten out of hand, she stepped in. She required both of us to apologize to each other and say, I'm sorry, and each forgive and saying, I forgive you. And Mark and I were always, always obeyed the letter of the law. We said, I'm sorry, and we said, I forgive you. But we were often against the spirit of the law. We said, I'm sorry, when we most certainly were not. And we said, I forgive you, when we really wanted revenge. There's just something in us that when we're told what we have to do, we just don't want to do it. So Paul wrote that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we join Jesus in his death and his resurrection. We die to this old way of trying to obey the letter of the law and we are raised to a new way where Jesus gives us the spirit within us who actually gives us the desire to do the right thing. A desire that God's spirit gives us to love God and love people. That's this new way of living by the spirit, not by the law. Now back to my brother and I. Well, now that we're grown, uh, our mother doesn't have to take us aside and tell us, Steve, you say you're sorry, and Mark, you say I forgive you. We do that when we need to because we want to. Because we follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit's in us and we want to love God and we want to love our neighbor, we want to love our brother. 
So we don't need the 613 laws that the Apostle Paul grew up with trying to obey all the time. In Christ, we have God's Spirit who gives us the desire to love God and to love our neighbor. That brings us to two. God's law does something really interesting. It reveals sin. A law reveals this inner rebellion. I can remember, I don't remember if it was Josh or Sarah, but they were probably about one and a half or two. And I told them, don't touch that. And the minute I said, don't touch that, one of my kids walked toward that, hand reached out, looking at me, smiling. It's the story of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, played out through every generation. Don't do that. Why not? Stay away from that. You'll get hurt. No, I won't. It looks like fun. You say no, I say yes. Most often people think of sin as doing something wrong or hurting someone, disobeying one of the Ten Commandments. But in the Bible, sin is explained as a power that pulls us to the wrong. Sin's little s are the wrong things we do. But sin, big s, is this unfortunate inner power that pulls us toward the wrong and the worst thing about sin isn't that we do the little sins, it's that it causes us to disobey God's good commands that are meant to help us. And it takes us off to the side and we suffer consequences. So Paul writes, sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its evil purposes. I mean, sin, big S, is so bad it wants us to reject God's good commands that brings us life, and it wants us to rebel against God, thinking we can build our own life, and things get out of control. Just think about the Ten Commandments, or as I like to call them, the ten words that bring life. So God, under Moses, had brought the people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, they're free. They're their own nation. They're traveling through the wilderness. They're getting ready for the promised land. At the beginning of that journey, God gives his people the Ten Commandments, or ten words that brings life. He says, if you live this way, you, your family, your tribe, and your whole nation will enjoy a good life. Trust God, live his way, and enjoy. Just think what it would be like if everyone in the community you live in, if all their lives were guided by the Ten Commandments. Everyone would worship the true God. No one would be wandering off worshiping meaningless stuff. Everyone's life choices would honor God. Everyone would have a weekly day of rest. Everyone would honor their parents. No one would be murdered. Everyone would be faithful to their spouse. Nothing would ever be stolen. No one would tell any lies about their neighbors. And no, no one would envy what their neighbor has. Everyone would be content. That would be a great place to live. And then sin enters the scene and says, no, you can't trust God. If you live God's way, you're going to miss out on the best. So instead of God's command leading us to a rich and satisfying life, sin says, no, come over this way. And we start walking away from God's best. That's how terrible sin really is. It promises the best, and it always, always delivers disappointment. Or as Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And sin is so evil, it wants to draw us away from the one person, Jesus, who can give us a rich and satisfying life. And that brings Paul and you and I to stop point number three, which is struggling with sin 
brings us to Jesus. Now, there are different kinds of struggle in life. We like to struggle where someone struggles, they're determined, they persevere, they win the gold medal. Or they struggle, they persevere, and they build this huge successful company. Paul is talking about a different kind of struggle. It's a struggle that we will always lose. On our own, we cannot overcome the power of sin. We can't. It's too strong. Even if and when we want to do the right thing, and in this section Paul writes about this, he says, I want to do the right thing, but I end up doing the wrong thing. And the thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. There's this struggle with the power of sin. And at the end of this struggle, Paul says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from the life dominated by sin? Who's going to free me? When we were living in Little Falls, Minnesota, a number of years back, I bought a used Dodge Stratus as my drive-around-town car. It worked pretty well until the water pump went out. And uh, kids were in college and trying to save money, so I thought, I need to figure out how to do this myself. So I'd gotten to know Gordon, who's my neighbor two houses down. He loved working on cars. I talked with him enough. In high school, he worked part-time at the salvage yard taking engines out of cars. That was his high school job. He had taught mechanics at the community college for decades. And he always did all of his own maintenance on his own cars, I could tell, driving by. So I thought, I know, I'll just ask Gordon if he would help me put a new water pump in my car. So I'm walking over to Gordon's and thinking, and that, on the way over, I came to my senses and I said, Steve, you don't have the tools needed to do the job, and he does. You don't have the knowledge and skills needed to do the job, and he does. I've never changed a water pump in my life. He probably has. Gordon, Gordon wouldn't be helping me. I would be helping him, maybe by handing him a tool. I don't know enough. So I didn't ask Gordon to help me. I said, Gordon, here's the deal. My Stratus needs a water pump. Kids are in college trying to save money. If I buy the parts, would you put the water pump in and I'll help however I can? And Gordon smiled at me and said, Sure. And he did. He did what I could not do. You and I, we can't win our struggle with sin. Just unwinnable. We can kind of control a little bit, but it'll get out of hand. So Paul wrote, the answer isn't trying harder. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord and what he's done for us. We place our faith and trust in Jesus. We join him in his death, which forgives our sin and breaks the power of sin. And we join him in his resurrection, in which Jesus gives us a new life empowered by God's Spirit, in which we are able to bring glory to God by how we live. Or as Paul writes, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer. You and I can't struggle. You, we and I can't win the fight on our own. Jesus can and has. And stop point number four, and this is kind of my favorite stopping point of the day here. In Jesus Christ, we live by the Spirit of God. We do not try harder on our own to please God. We depend on God's spirit that Jesus has given us to empower us to do what honors God. So Paul starts out with these incredible words. He says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. None. There's forgiveness. I mean, our enemy Satan tempts us to do wrong, tries to, and when we fail, he accuses us, he condemns us, he says, see, you're not worth anything, you can never be in right relationship with God, it's a lie. We don't make ourselves right with God. God makes us right with himself through our faith in Jesus. 
That's why when we belong to Jesus, there's no condemnation. We're in God's family. And God puts his spirit in us. Christ is our brother. So now, we can pay attention to the work of God's spirit in our lives and let the Holy Spirit control our mind and then we learn to experience the life and peace that comes as a result. So I'll focus on a few words that Paul puts in. He says, but you, meaning those of us who know Jesus, are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And then parenthetically, Paul says, and remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. In other words, if you belong to Jesus, he gives you his Spirit. And it's not a both and, it's one or the other. And Paul says, listen, you have faith in Jesus, you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, and he will give you the desire to do what is good and right, to love God and love your neighbor. And we will stop saying, oh, I have to, or I'm supposed to, and we'll begin to say, I want to. I want to. Because the Holy Spirit's helping us know how to love God and how to love our neighbor. This is a picture of the southbound I-29 off-ramp to Highway 12 right here in Watertown. So if you're coming north from Lake Fargo, this is the ramp you take to turn on 212. One evening, my wife, Tara, and I, I think think we were coming back from Fargo, actually, uh, taking the off-ramp, slowing down, stop signs about 30 yards up ahead. I was kind of driving, actually, right in the middle of the white line. I'm getting ready to shift, turn right at the stop sign, head home. And while I'm slowing down, 30 yards from the stop sign, all of a sudden the pickup, traveling west on 212, turns left onto the off-ramp and starts accelerating up the off-ramp. What am I supposed to do? So I said, Terry, quick, look at the glove compartment for the South Dakota Department of Border Vehicles traffic laws. I told her, hurry up and find out what law says what I'm supposed to do when a driver's heading up the off-ramp in the wrong direction. I did not do that. There was no time. And besides, there's no law written for this situation, right? I didn't follow the letter of the law because there was no law. I followed the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law for driving is conduct yourself in a way that keeps yourself safe and other drivers safe. So in an instant, without thinking about it, so this is why I'm giving an illustration of God's spirit at work in me, uh, knowing that the driver of the pickup, and now they're 20 yards away, and I could see it's a mom and a dad and a couple kids in the back of the cab. They're headed toward danger. I veered left so my car would partially block his path, laid on the horn, and waved my hand frantically out the window. And within one second, he had stopped, and this is what he did. (laughs) Then he waved at me, backed up, and went the correct direction. And boy, was I thankful he stopped. And I thank God he stopped. Everybody went home safely. Now as we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us the gift of the Spirit who takes God's Word and makes it alive and so we know how to live it in our life. And as we choose to live by the Spirit, he helps us know how to deal with situations that come up in life. How do you love a neighbor in this situation? That's what happened for me. I don't take credit. I didn't have time to think about what I was even doing. God's Spirit helps us know How do you love your neighbor? This is what you do. And we listen, and we obey, and we honor God, and we help people around us. So this is a prayer for a spirit-led life for this week, and use it each day um, 
It's on the bulletins. You can pick one up on the offering box as you leave. Lord Jesus, thank you for freeing me from guilt, condemnation, and shame. I renounce just going through the motions of being good. Today, I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the desire to love God and love my neighbor as myself. Amen. This is a great way to start your day, to know whose power you're depending on to bring honor to God. Let's just pray it together right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for freeing me from guilt, condemnation, and shame. I renounce just going through the motions of being good. Today I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the desire to love God and love my neighbor as myself. Amen.